Alright, welcome back to another episode of the Goalpost. And the battle of the mid ended up with the Chargers on top. Chargers 27, Jets 6. We're here right after Monday Night Football. How are we doing, Patrick? Not bad. Kind of uh, another stinker on Monday night, which is unfortunate. But at least we had a a good Sunday nighter to kind of get our expectations settled a little bit. You know, we had a taste of some nice prime time at least, but... We got to do something about these Jets playing in primetime, Damien. It's it's becoming a problem. It's. I was thinking to myself last night, why do I know so much about this Jets team? Like, why have I been in and out of the storylines all season long so deeply? And it's, it's the primetime games. Like, I'm seeing a million boards about them. I'm seeing a million pregame pieces about them still up to this point in the season. It's, it's brutal. And I, I would argue... The New York Jets are the worst team to watch in the NFL because they can't move the ball on offense, one, and their defense is good enough where you can't really move the ball on them either. So you're just watching a rock fight the entire time. Like if you just looked at this box score, you would kind of think, oh, the Chargers, you know, dominated the game, but they didn't. They had less than 200 yards of total offense. If it wasn't for that kick return, I, I mean, this game's probably a lot closer but yeah, it's these games with the Jets on primetime are are becoming unwatchable. Yeah, it, it's bad. It's the one real downside of the NFL uh, scheduling. They put so much time and effort into narratives and really building storylines, which works out in some really great ways sometimes. But when it doesn't or a team goes sideways where it really has like obviously in the past two years between the both the Broncos and the Jets, we essentially had the same story between the two of them. Uh, one being a quarterback getting injured, the other just sucking. Um, but it's enough. We we got to get to these flex games bad. Badly, yeah. And the, the stretch of primetime games, or I guess standalone games, if you include London uh, or Germany. Sorry, they're in Germany yeah. now. Hard to keep up. But it's, they're brutal. Like this week coming up, it's awful. I mean, I think it's the Patriots, Colts in, in, in Germany, which is just, awful game uh i forget the other primetime games but i know the bills are playing the broncos in one of them and i don't know it there's just nothing really to look forward to in this future schedule as opposed to you know this past week we had uh Bengals bills in a prime time like that was a perfect way to cap off that week with the eagles like it was just a great like balanced week of football there's always one good game in each slate yeah. And now it's like y- you lost us again, right? Like you think you could build off this momentum, but it doesn't look like it. Patrick, guess who next week's Sunday night football is? Oh, I think I saw it, but uh, I don't I don't hit hit me with it. Jets Raiders. That's a crime. That is that is just an absolute crime that you're going to make us watch the Jets again play against an, a worse team than them. That's crazy. That could be that's, like a 9-6 game. That's atrocious. Yeah, the Monday night is Broncos-Bills, which is tough. Um, some big teams on a bye next week, too. KC, Miami, Philly, and then the Rams are on a bye as well. Um, but coming out of the Monday night, a couple interesting storylines. One of them pregame, your boy Aaron Rodgers walking to half, meets up with Darwin James. Darwin James goes, when you back, bro? He goes, a few weeks. That's Rodgers' response. A few weeks. Are we a few weeks out from an Aaron Rodgers return? There's no way, right? Do I have permission to go tinfoil hat here? I'll go for it. 
I don't know if he tore his Achilles. Like if you're coming back after a few weeks, it's either, you know, you, you didn't tear your Achilles and I, this is all you know, speculation, but it's either that or he like stole someone's Achilles, like a homeless person's Achilles. And they just strapped it on him and said, you know what, here you go. You'll, you'll be back in no time. You're not going to miss the entire season. Cause I think no one has come back in the same season as they've torn their Achilles in. I had this conversation the other day because somebody brought up uh, Kevin Durant and they were like, look at Kevin Durant's, how long it took him to come back from that. He had this experimental surgery. I won't get too deep into the details, not a doctor, but it's essentially like a you graft another part of muscle onto it. So I don't know. Part of me thinks that Rogers wants, he loves like flouting being the smartest guy in the room. And if he ends up having an experimental surgery that does go the right way, he will just be insufferable. Uh, Something to keep an eye on. Uh, Another thing, Troy Aikman kind of lost his shit right at the end of that game. He finally like let it loose. He said the Jets are a bad football team with a great defense. I don't see this team being a playoff team whatsoever. Um, right when they go to that weird angle where it's like the two of them standing up and you kind of get the full body shot. Um, but wasn't any pulling any punches about the Jets like that. I think that's exactly what they are. Yeah, it's the defense is is solid to good. And the offense is just really hard to watch and I mean I'm sure this season would have been a lot different and we would have had a lot different kind of storylines about the Jets if Aaron Rodgers didn't get injured but unfortunately that's not the case and you have to deal with the cards you've you've been dealt and Zach Wilson had showed signs kind of early I mean coming in and winning that Bills game in week one in relief and then it's just Pretty much been all downhill. And I mean, they put, what was it? Two, three wins together Be in the yeah. weeks prior. People were starting to be like, oh, you know, the Jets, this, this defense is going to be able to kind of keep them in, in it and they might compete for a wild card spot. But I think anytime they play a, a decent or better team, they should be underdogs and probably losing those matchups. Yeah, I think you're right about that. The, it's become so clear that the longer Zach Wilson has the ball in his hand, the more likely something is to go wrong when he's getting it out fast. It can look good for a quarter, two quarters, but you know, what was it? Eight sacks last night by the end of it. So part of that is the offensive line. They were atrocious last night. Um, but part of that is the longer he holds onto the ball, his decision-making really gets flawed and it's kind of where the breakdown happens. And I don't care how good your defense is. If you're on the field for, you know, the whole game, you're going to give up 27 points eventually. Um, but the Chargers move to four and four. The Jets are four and four. These are two teams that are, you know, trying desperately to make the playoffs this year, I would say. And I don't know if it's going to happen for either of them. That's where I, that'll be my leaving off point here. Do you think the Chargers make the playoffs? I think this was a must win for them if they wanted to make the playoffs. I think they definitely have a better chance than the Jets. I just think it's a better overall team than the Jets. But yeah, they need to find Eck- they need to get Eckler going in the actual run game. I feel like kind of ever since he's been back from the injury, uh, they've been getting involved in the pass game a lot, and he's kind of he has been getting touchdowns. But the running game hasn't been pretty with him, and that's a huge they problem. It so early, yeah. and, and I mean, like they didn't need it in this game, like they took care of business and it was fine. And I mean, there's not a lot of cause for concern out of the Chargers from this week, 
but it could be a problem if they don't figure this out and they want to make the playoffs because if they do get Eckler going and then they're able to kind of get this pass and rushing attack going, the Chargers have guys and they have a good enough team where I think they can kind of compete for a wild card spot. But yeah, you're right. Like if you just look at the AFC top to bottom, everyone's kind of winning games and 500 is not going to cut it. So they got to find a way to kind of put some wins together here and, and get above 500. Yeah, no kidding. Um, Keenan Allen, 10,000 yards. You mentioned some weapons there. He was unreal. Had that crazy catch to kind of bail Herbert out late there. Uh, yeah, the Chargers got guys, but the AFC is going to be an upward, upward battle. And like moving back to Sunday, my like, I was figuring it out on Sunday. Every AFC East team lost and every AFC North team won, I believe. So it, it was a huge sw- like kind of swing in, in the divisions that way. And we'll go to Bengals 24, Bills 18 on Sunday night football because the Bills drop another one, go to five and four. They had a real chance to jump on Miami there, losing to Kansas City. We'll get to that later. Um, but yet again, they failed to make ground in this division. And I think the story of this one I really want to start with is is this a game where it's what's wrong with the Bills or what's right with the Bengals? Do you think that which one showed you kind of more from this? A combination of both, I would I would say combination. Um, the the Bills have no running game whatsoever. It's it's kind of impressive how they just like we talked about the Chargers. They at least kind of try and run the ball. They they'll try and then eventually, if it's really not working and they need points, they'll abandon it. The Bills will abandon it on the second drive of the game. They, they are scared to run the ball. You're bringing in Fournette, leaving them on the practice squad. I, I Tom Brady seemed to do okay with him, just like getting him the ball. He's a vet. James Cook, I mean, I people had high hopes for him this year. Started off kind of okay, and now he's you don't hear from him in games. And it's a big problem. And and going to the Bengals, it's it's just the same script every year. Like they start slow. A lot of concerns about them, and then they just figure it out. They just put it together, offensive, defensively. It's it's impressive to watch them when they're in stride because I do think when they put all their pieces together, they are a top three team in the NFL. So I think it's a bit of both, but I I think it's more in favor of like since he is a good football team when everything is put together. Yeah, I think the edge in that question is Joe Burrow for me. I think that game was really a game that Cincy fans and really everybody was waiting to see if Joe Burrow is finally kind of over the hump of this nagging injury. And I thought a lot of his play proved that he was running. He was loose with the his feet. And then he was making like classic Joe Burrow throws, fitting them in tight windows. He, he finished with 348 and two touchdowns. Um, and the Bengals kind of just showed like a a national TV audience that they're still serious AFC playoff contenders. They are back in the party. I think that, you know, for the Ravens and the Bengals, this was a huge weekend to show people that, you know, maybe the chiefs have taken a step back and maybe those two teams are, are kind of primed to take a step forward. Um, But with the bills, I think that they made this game look easy for the Bengals. Like it it was kind of one where the bills were just their own worst enemy here. Yeah, and I mean it was a it was a ball game in the first half. Uh, since he was up at, at in the half, but Buffalo started with the ball, and that I like that drive. Looking back on it in hindsight, was pretty much the game. It's like 
you know, you're down obviously 21-7 and it's not pretty, but you start with the ball, you go down, you get a touchdown, 21-14, like that you're, this is a new ball game. And like you look, they lost by six points. So you go out and you get that touchdown. You kind of silence that crowd out of halftime, put some doubt in the Cincinnati um, in, on their sideline and then get confidence in yours. But they just like, it was kind of ugly the second quarter and third quarter for the Bills. Like they look good. Like I thought um, after those first couple of drives, we were in for a, a shootout in this game. Cause it was like, since he went down, scored Buffalo scored since he scored. And then it just kind of hit a halt. And yeah, since he just like it went wire to wire and that was the weirdest thing to me is they missed that. Like it felt like Buffalo was missing that killer instinct that that you're used to them having in those games. Like, oh, Buffalo gets the ball back to start the half. They're going to go march down and get a touchdown. And this is going to be an absolute dogfight of a second half. And it just came way too late. Like you're you then force Allen into windows where he has to do everything himself and try and really force throws deep and try and gain the yards back. And I think the Bills really, it's tough. Like they got to, they are now below that echelon of teams in the AFC. Like they, the, the Dolphins, I, I would argue, are still kind of above that with even with that loss to the Chiefs. Um, and the Bills are just losing kind of that notoriety fast more than anything. Yeah, they're out of a playoff spot if the, if the season ended today. And we, we talked about this earlier, kind of about both teams and something they were missing was like their second wide receiver stepping up and being that guy. And Gabe Davis didn't have a catch in this game and T Higgins went for over a hundred yards. So that kind of like, I'm not going to say that was the difference in the game, but it certainly helps when, you know, if Jamar Chase isn't, you know, he's not getting open, he might not be able to make the plays he usually does. You need to have that second option to go on. And I know the Bills have brought in Dalton Kincaid in the passing game, but you still need two wide receivers to kind of succeed in, in this league. And I feel like Gabe Davis has just had a, a very disappointing season along with the entire Buffalo Bills up until this point. Yeah, and I, I think Ken Dorsey's on the hot seat too, really. Oh. Now. Like, I, I don't know, man. It's starting to get, like, I don't know why people aren't asking the question more. This offense looks terrible. Like, they... They struggle to ma- maintain momentum. They struggle to share the ball. It, and it seems like it's it's not always a fault of their own. No, I don't mind it. I just haven't heard like you're one of the first to kind of put it out there. I would say I haven't really heard that much, but it's not you know, maybe in this season, but like, fuck, there's so many good offensive minds out there. And, and if it's not working, it's not working. Yeah, maybe he's just got to uh, pull a Matt Canada and just go down to the sideline for the next game and just just dude, chat with the boys and look dude, like a normal human being. Before we go, before we go to the rest of the games on Sunday, we're kicking it. We're kicking it back to Thursday night. What a turnaround, Matt! I was shocked. Like I almost, I almost screamed at my TV when I saw him on on screen. What What was your first reaction to seeing Matt Canada on the sidelines? Just the big old smile. Just honestly, a huge smile. Just go there. Like, there you go, Matt. Like, way to be part of the team. Way to actually, like, you know, face the music if something doesn't go right. And just be able to actually just have some accountability. Talk to your quarterback face-to-face. I think that dynamic, like, cannot be understated in the NFL. Just, like, face-to-face communication, actually talking it through. And he called a great game. Kenny Pickett kind of missed a lot of throws and opportunities, but the Steelers could have won this game by by two scores. Obviously, it came down like Tennessee had a chance to win it at the end, but 
credit to Matt Canada. You, I, I still, I would like to see him do that for the rest of the year is kind of what I like. I just liked seeing him on the sideline. It felt like a take that like sprouted and then grew into a flower. Like that was something we talked about like a month ago, maybe, maybe even more about why, like maybe you need to make the shift and stop hiding up there. And then it grew and it grew. And finally there he was big win for the Steelers, especially in, with the fact that everybody else in the AFC North won uh, this weekend. Quick look at the next week. It's going to be a, a big week for the AFC North. The Browns face the Ravens at home. The Bengals, they host the Texans. That one's probably a bit of an easier one. But then the Steelers need to get a huge win against a bad Green Bay team. Like, it's just something to keep an eye on. Yep. Yeah, it's it's competitive division. The entire AFC North is in the playoffs right now, which is kind of wild. But yep. yeah, you just got to keep keep winning. No excuses. Just keep winning games. Keep winning. But to another divisional matchup, speaking of divisions, we go to Eagles 28, Cowboys 23. The Eagles cruise kind of to NFL best 8-1. and one. And I don't know really what the story of this game was. It, it was kind of a classic Eagles-Cowboys game. Jalen Hurts kind of shook off a knee injury throughout the game. And when it came down to it in crunch time, Dak and, and the Cowboys offense kind of shriveled up. Yeah, this this was a wild a wild but a good game. A yeah. Perfect four o'clock slate. I I you're right though. I don't know what I come out of this game like thinking. Like I don't know if it's like oh the Eagles big win, Cowboys. You know they they failed to get it done again, but they they hung in there, kind of competed with the top team. Oh boy, would the it, would Dak want that two point conversion back where he stepped out? Oh like yeah, that's right because then they can kick a field goal and then you have overtime. Yeah, they didn't. It was just kind of. Like, I don't want to put it on Dak because I think that's kind of a lazy take just being like, oh, Dak can't get it done again. But they just fell short. Like, they, yeah, they just that's did why I as said a offense because it did feel more like a collective, like falling short. It, there wasn't the big pick. There wasn't the huge, huge mistake. It They kind of just they got uh like the better team one almost like they just showed that they weren't exactly the better team. I, w- I would agree with that. Like the Eagles never made that mistake. And the only yeah. mistake I would kind of put on Dak was in that uh, second and goal. It might've been there like near the end. And when he took the sack with no yeah. timeouts. Yeah. Yeah. You, you probably can't do that. Like throw the ball away uh, and give yourself a couple more downs to to live. But at the same time, the Eagles, I don't like, I'm, I'm not confident in them after this win. Like the Cowboys had chances to they win They could have won game. this game. Yeah. Yeah. And Obviously, they're eight and one, best record in the NFL. But I, like, I, I'm, I'm torn. I'm very torn because I'm like, okay, the Eagles are eight and one, and they haven't even really kind of played their best football yet. So, like, they're the best team in the NFL. But then I also like think I go, you know, we're nine games into the season. Is this the Eagles' best football? Yeah, like it. it people keep saying, oh, the Eagles haven't hit their stride yet. They haven't you know, gotten to that point. What if this just is their plateau? Like, what if this is what this year's Eagles team kind of looks like? And they're not, you know, the absolute, absolute world beaters um, that they were last year. Um, It's going to be tough in the NFC to really change any opinions like that if you're at the top until the playoffs. Like, it's it's kind of a a double-edged sword where they're going to keep winning games. They're going to keep kind of, I'm sure they'll have a questionable loss or two along the way that will just keep this question machine going um, around the Eagles. Um, But I want to take a kind of 
real zoom out on the Cowboys season right now. The Cowboys are five and three and they have really, really winnable games coming up. They go Giants, Panthers, Commanders, Seahawks. So you pretty much if you're the Cowboys, which I'll get to their December schedule, you need to go essentially three and one in those games at the very least, Um, because then they go Eagles, Bills, Dolphins, Lions for the month of December. Just an absolute, absolute gauntlet. Yeah, I that's that is a tough December for them right before the playoffs. Well, if they make the playoffs, Dallas, Dallas is a weird team. I do think Dallas is is good, though. I like I, I have Dallas as a good team. They're just not a great team like Philly. I, I know they're they might not be super clean, but they're they're a great team. They've done it for, you know, it's going to be their second year being at the top of the NFC, probably the favorites to win the NFC. And I mean, like Dallas competed, but and they're going to beat teams that they're probably better than, like the Rams, um, uh, whoever else they've beaten. But there's just a gap, and they can't consistently play at that high level. But when they play at that high level, I think they can compete and honestly beat any team in the NFL when they are on their like full potential. Their problem is they don't do it every single game. Yeah, I think that Seahawks game will be like the test of two teams that are essentially the same at that point in the season. Um, the Seahawks play the Ram- uh, the Commanders, the Rams, the 49ers, and then the Cowboys. So they'll really be, I think, meeting at a time where those teams are really at the same kind of level or depth in the season um, and what kind of teams they are. But that'll, again, be a moment where the Cowboys have to redefine their identity because they won't have a chance to do it essentially for another four weeks. Um, but moving quickly now to a pretty cool game on Sunday, just wanted to fit it in Vikings 31 Falcons 28. This was a cool game. If you are a Vikings fan, if you were a Falcons fan, you probably want to scratch your eyes out after it. I think that the Falcons fans have to be maybe the most frustrated in the league so far. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, because other teams playing. Yeah, because the, the NFC South is, is so winnable and I would say, Falcons, you could argue have the best roster in the NFC South, but like Bijan Robinson isn't in red zone packages. Kyle Pitts is still like not used to his full potential. I would argue Drake London was injured in this game, and I mean you're playing the Vikings, who, who like Josh Dobbs played three quarters of this game and he didn't know like his teammates' names. He was working on his cadence in the middle of the game with the line, so it's. Like this is a game you do. Do I say have to win? Like you, yeah, you should you have definitely have win that. Win. Yeah. And they, they obviously didn't. And now it's like you have to win your division games because you, now you're below 500. And I mean, like the saints are kind of winning games. Like it's going to be a competitive division and you can't drop games like this where you just should win them. Yeah. The, the bright side for Falcons fans is that they have one of the easier schedules to finish out the season. Um, they go Cardinals by Saints, Jets, Bucks, Panthers, Colts, Bears, Saints. So it's it's definitely there's a path there. Uh, I, I don't think the Saints will end up being the team that wins that division. I think the Falcons do end up squeaking into the playoffs. It's something it's something that I'm sitting on, though. Like I'm going to be keeping my eye on Falcons games for kind of the rest of the season looking at that. Yeah, and I would say this div- like you have to win this division. I don't think this division will get any wildcard teams into the playoffs. No, like, I, I agree. Think your only path to the playoffs from this division is winning it. 
Definitely. Um, Josh Dobbs is a genius, uh, like clear football savant, just general absolute mastermind. Uh, it was kind of crazy what he was doing, but really happy to see. Um, we'll go now to a pretty surprising game and Seahawks fans cover your ears. Ravens 37 Seahawks three. And is it time to write back on Gino? I got some takes on Gino. I'll let uh, him up. I've kind of quietly watched a ton of Seahawks games this year, somehow, some way. I, I don't know how it's worked out, but I've watched at least four or five, like full Seahawks games Geno Smith is not good. Geno Smith is what has been bringing this team down. I, hard to say he's bringing them down when they're five and three, but he is their biggest problem. And it's not even close. He has zero pocket awareness. Again, like last year, he was solid. This year, he has taken a step back from last year where he just, he doesn't see the field. He locks in on one receiver, then gets sacked. He's And he's been fumbling at a ton when he's been getting sacked. I'd, I'm not going to say like you you should have gone out there and won this game because I think Baltimore is a better team than Seattle, but to get blown out 37 to three, you I don't know it's Gino. We're writing. I'm writing back at least. I am. I think that that Seahawks win over the Lions is one of those brainwashing wins early in the season that absolutely screws your opinion of a team eight weeks later because you go. Oh, they- they beat the Lions in that shootout, thirty-eight to thirty-one. Like this team's good. It, it, you're right. Like they they're not good in, on that side of the ball right now. He, he takes four sacks. He throws an interception, and he only throws for one hundred and fifty-seven yards. So I think that this was a tough game because that defense that you've been leaning on and leaning on week after week. Devin Witherspoon had a bit of a t- his first tough game. Really, he got kind of put on skates by Zay Flowers. That was a tough clip. Um, And it was the highest passer rating game he's allowed in his career so far. Um, But for a defense that kind of is being asked to just keep not breaking and just holding up this team, Gino's got to start giving some results. If you look at the first eight games from last year to this year, the the stats are staggering. Yeah, and I I believe it. I I don't know what they are, but I've I've just watched Gino this year. And I, I had Seattle at a, in a playoff spot before the season, I believe. And I, I still think they can make the playoffs. I think they just kind of need to use Kenneth Walker more, use more plays that Geno's just getting the ball out of his hands a lot quicker. And I mean, the defense is good. The, the secondary is great. Their D-line is average, average, yeah. I would say. And they kind of need to step up and be able to rush the pack, passer a bit more. I'm not hitting the panic button. You're five and three. You're doing all right. But I would like to see the Seahawks bounce back after yeah. after a loss like this. Ravens go to seven and two, though. AFC North, it, it, it's they are looking like real contenders right now. I, I don't. And, and it's crazy because they'll win games with 37 points and, and Lamar will have like a decent stat line like they, they're getting it done with everyone. Yeah, he didn't even play in the fourth quarter in this game. And it was just like Keaton Mitchell, Gus Edwards, like you name it. They were like someone other than Lamar was kind of getting it done. And yeah, the the Ravens look good. They've just blown out two NFC, like top five NFC teams, just blown them out. So yeah, like I would say Baltimore as of this recording is a top three team in the AFC, maybe in the NFL. I think I saw them at plus 850 last night for Super Bowl odds. 
It's uh, I would it's I would I wouldn't bet them now. I wouldn't no. bet them now. I would I like wait either. a minute because Baltimore's a weird team where they will have a letdown spot. Like they mm-hmm. they're not gonna run the table. Uh, you just gotta be able to find when that is. But like once they kind of lose one or two more games, I feel like Baltimore will have some more value. I agree. Um, moving now to an ex Ohio State quarterback, absolutely showing out. Texans thirty nine, Bucks thirty seven. This was a game that I I shut off and then had to go back to because I had realized I missed a giant play and I was able to catch the final touchdown. What a game from CJ Stroud. The Texans are electric to watch. They feel like the new Jaguars almost. Like you they they got young guys, they're electric, they're fun on offense. It, it's a great time watching those games. Yeah, this was far and away the the most fun game of the week. Just a stupid amount of points for an NFL game. And I, the Texans like hop on the bandwagon because like, they're just a fun team and they're just exceeding well above what anyone really thought they would do this year. Like it's just, everyone's kind of young and exciting on the scene, maybe except for like Dalton Schultz, but Tank Dell, Nico Collins. I mean, John Mechie's still on this team. He's kind of like finding his stride back into the NFL. Then you got CJ Shroud who, I think like if he keeps going on this path is a lock for offensive rookie of the year. And I mean, yep. if he keeps finding ways to win games, like who's the MVP this year, right? Like, obviously I don't think he's the favorite to win. I'm not going to say that, but I like, I've been seeing just, it. Yeah. Like if you just do this a couple, not 500 yards with five touchdowns, but just find ways to win games, finish the season. Like if, if Texans get into a playoff spot, why shouldn't he be in the conversation for it? Because he is kind of what is bringing this team up. Like Singletary had 26 rushing yards in that game. Yeah, Let me, they, let me give you some stats on CJ Stroud. So far it. through eight games, 2,200 yards, 14 touchdowns, one interception, 102.9 passer rating. Those are MVP stats. It's the one interception that is just amazing. Like Mahomes has eight i think josh allen has thrown a pick in like five straight games mahomes is like seven or eight interceptions this year those are the guys that are always completion too as a rookie man like it's it's i always kind of had faith that cj stroud would be a solid nfl quarterback i did not see this coming whatsoever in his rookie year to kind of just hit the ground running right away and just seem to pick pick up the NFL like it's college. Like he kind of looks the exact same with how he and his poise and throws the ball. Texans are fun to watch. They're really yeah. fun. I saw a lot of people pulling up the game tape from that Ohio State Georgia game and saying that that was really where a lot of people pegged him as being kind of a separator because that's as close as you could really get to an NFL defense and he made a lot of decisions and reads and passes in that game that proved that he could really do it and they all really translated. Like he's not playing much different to how he played in college either, which is the crazy thing. No, and it's he I've always kind of thought his confidence was was an issue. I feel like he would kind of get in his own head a lot of times if something would go wrong and not a lot has gone wrong in this season I guess for him so that kind of hasn't really factored in but like he looks confident he looks he doesn't look nervous he looks poised and i i don't know where he he goes but i hope he continues on this path of success and i mean hell like the the texans are probably plus money to make the playoffs yeah afc south 
I don't know. Bucks it's stink, by the way. Me. Bucks, uh, they stink. Y- yeah, they have no defense. None. And their Baker. coaching sucks. What was that timeout, dude? I, I was sitting there absolutely scratching my head at, they just took a timeout for no reason. Right yeah, at the end it, of the game. And it cost them. Yeah. Like it, it, if you would have loved to have 14 uh, seconds, like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, less time for for CJ Stroud to just walk down on your defense. They kind of found a running game in this game, like they like for Sean White. It's seventy three yards, two touchdowns. But like Baker has a hard ceiling at this point in his career. Yeah, and I, th- I think the Bucks knew that he, he's got a decently high floor from Kyle Trask. But yeah, the Bucks are just in no man's land. Some very questionable decisions from Baker. Um, But that will take us to our final game of the Sunday recap. (sighs) Chiefs 21, Dolphins 14 in Frankfurt. Looked like a fucking home game for the Chiefs, yet somehow that was a home game for the Dolphins. A lot of thoughts from this one. Um, Really a tale of two halves. I don't think that that was... That was the narrative that came out of this game, but it absolutely was. The Dolphins didn't allow the Chiefs uh, offense a point since their second touchdown, which was what in the second early second quarter. So I think that the Dolphins had defense really actually showed up and, and had a great day in what I thought was going to be an awful day for them. I thought after that first drive where the Chiefs went down and kind of stomped on them for seven plays and got a touchdown that it was going to be a really, really long day for the defense. But credit to them, they they shored up. And and if you take away that ridiculous, ridiculous Tyree Kill fumble and, you know, touchdown return, this is a game that the Dolphins probably win. Like, I, I, I don't think that's outrageous to say. No, no, I don't. And I, I do think... Like obviously the Dolphins lost, but I don't think you, you should be hanging your head from from like this kind of loss. Like twenty one fourteen, like you said, you didn't allow any points in the second half, and yeah, it, like it came down to a fumble and a lateral, and like who who saw that lateral coming? He was basically you could have borderline stopped that for forward progress pre lateral, by the way, but they didn't, and they pulled it off. And I guess credit for them for being crafty in that moment, but that was the difference in this game. Another kind of difference I've like Miami just they abandoned the run in in the first half and then they found it in the second half with Mostert again but they just like I don't know they try and mix uh, like you would know better than I but when I watch Dolphins games I feel like they'll they'll run Mostert out on that first drive they'll run him once it'll go for like one yard no gain and then they just throw him out to, to the second half almost. It's like they treat him like an old toy that you have to like wind up and then eventually just like by the third quarter, he's loose and ready to go. And that's where I think that a missing a chain is really starting to hurt them because when he would get that one yard rush on the first one, they would go on the third down and a chain would get a third and seven and like break open a 10 yard run. Um, But you're right. I think that the most concerning thing from this game was the Dolphins play calling. I think that that play to Tyree kill that start that caused the fumble was like an asinine play call. They needed a third down. You throw it five yards behind the line. The chief's defense is right on you. So I think that it was a comedy of errors in that sense. And it didn't look good. Great. Tua has a miscommunication with Cedric Wilson, where that should have been a touchdown over the top late as well. It looked like he massively underthrew it, but it was clearly just not the right route. 
And it's tough. It, it, it was it, that's such a winnable game for the Dolphins to silence a lot of doubt. And now you just have to kind of live with that noise behind you until the next big spot, which is the Cowboys on Christmas Eve. Yeah, the narrative around Miami is it's you must hate it. Uh, and I like I would. But at the end of the day, man, the Dolphins are five and three or Six and three. Six and three, heading into their bye week. I think the bye week is a perfect time, especially like takes the travel back out of the question, which is uh, huge, yeah. I believe. So I think like it, it's nice time for the bye. You're still first. The Dolphins are still first in the AFC East. And like they're going to be there, man. It's yes, they're going to be absolutely. There. Yeah. That's what I mean. It's like you just have the rest of the season, you're halfway through. Get yourself ready for the playoffs. And that's all that really matters. Stay healthy and find a way. But I think that's the most interesting thing. Sorry to cut you off. But no, I, no, I think okay. that, that going into this game, that was what I was thinking about most is that, you know, that Eagles loss, that Bills loss, they're both losses where I don't think that is really indicative of a playoff, like end of the season situation where I think the Dolphins have the most like room to grow towards being a playoff team, including getting guys back from injury. So, yeah. And you're like, they found some defense in this game. They look kind of tough, but I think what like just going to switch to the chiefs here. I think the chiefs have one of the best defenses in the NFL and they're kind of winning through their defense this year more than any year with Mahomes. It, it really looked like that. Like Legereus Sneed is such a big piece of this team. And when he went out, that was when essentially the Dolphins offense really started getting going was when he left the game. Um, So I think that that's going to be able to get this Chiefs team pretty far with like you almost just let Patrick Mahomes and the the offense catch up and get to know one another more throughout the year. It's inevitable that they're going to start playing well. Like we watched that all on the quarterback series. You give this team like 10 weeks together in practice every day. The offense is eventually going to look good. Yeah, and that's the Chiefs every year kind of get better as the season goes along. And they've never really had that like top five defense that can go out there and like win you a game if Mahomes is having an off day. It's usually a shootout if, you know, right, if their defense is letting them down, Mahomes is going to have to go out and throw for three or four touchdowns. But it's, it's weird. It's a different year for the Chiefs. I think people are kind of down on them because Mahomes isn't setting records this year, but I just think it's a different Kansas City team. And I think that they deserve to still be kind of number one in the power rankings, I would say. Like they, they just keep doing it. And I, they're seven and two. I would have the Eagles up there and I guess the Ravens. Like that's, that's kind of the top three teams that come to my mind right now. It's but crazy I, to see how far the pendulum has swung with the 49ers, too. Like even week in to a week few league. weeks, even in a few weeks, like it's they're out of that top three conversation. They go into the buy, so people kind of forget about them a bit. Like it's it's going to be interesting. The N- the NFC championship, or I, I would just say, I guess the NFC playoffs is going to be really interesting. Maybe more exciting in some senses than the AFC. Yeah, I, I can see that because I think any NFC team that makes the playoffs can like can win because i don't think there's any number one world beater in the nfc right now unless i think san fran and philly have that potential to be but they kind of just look off right now and you know it one until they do 
like figure it out again and rip off three straight wins, which I know the, the Eagles have, they're eight and one. I'm kind of skeptical on any team in the NFC, and it just feels like another AFC a- AFC dominates kind of year. Yeah, I agree. Um, but that'll do it for NFL Sunday. That was week nine, officially halfway through the season in the NFL. Sorry for the scaries. Um, but after this, we will come back with a CFL Eastern and Western final preview. We are going into the semifinal week in the CFL Grey Cup playoffs. So come back after this for that. All right, we're back now after some technical difficulties to talk CFL Eastern and Western final preview. We've got the first game coming with the Montreal Alouettes fresh off of six straight wins coming to BMO Field to take on the 16-2 and Toronto Argonauts. They open as a nine and a half point favorite in this one. And there's not many ways to draw this one up positively for the Owls. They got their work cut out for them, Patrick. Yeah, Damien, this this game, I think, as weird as it's going to sound, comes down to the first half, really. Uh, you mentioned it, Montreal's coming in red hot. They've been playing a lot of meaningful football in the second half of the season, um, comfortably earning that second spot in the East. The Argos, they they haven't played meaningful football basically the entire second half of the season, and they, they're coming off a bye. I don't know how they're going to come out in this game. And I think that's going to really determine the direction of this game goes. Because I think if they are punting a lot in that first quarter, Montreal's got them right where they want them. And this game's going to kind of turn into to a bit of a rock fight. Like it's going to be a playoff cold weather battle if the Argos kind of don't come out and like give it to them early. And hopefully the crowd at BMO, like we, we were talking about it a little bit before, but it's going to be packed in there. And I think the crowd is going to have to be a huge factor in this game to just get the Argos going immediately because you don't want to show any signs of rust in this one. Yeah, it's almost like all eyes are on the first quarter. Like it feels like the Argos have to go out the first two drives and put this one to bed early and get a big lead on the Alouettes and make Cody Fajardo throw the ball. The one thing that the Alouettes have had this year is a very stout running game. So in a cold weather game like this, if you open the door and let the Owls run, Um, which has been one of the few weaknesses of this Argos defense, um, then I think that that opens the game right up for the Alouettes. And you're right. I think that this team has really earned a loud and raucous crowd there. Um, They went undefeated at BMO this year. They went 9-0. They're on pace to sell out BMO. I think there's going to be about 24,000 people there. Uh, and, And you need to get this team into it early and often. I think that the more that... Montreal is forced to play kind of above their pay grade, um, the more chances there are for mistakes in this one. Um, the Argos just got to come in and take care of business. There's there's no other way around it. You're a plus 100 favorite right now to win the Grey Cup. You have to go in and make this game unreachable fast. Yeah, that is the, that's the recipe to success for this Argos team. And I mean, like nine and a half points is a ton in a playoff game. Um, Aaron Korolnik says he believes it might go to 10 and a half. So if you're looking to bet on this one and to get that extra field goal, I'd take it now, but man, that feels like a ton of points to me. I, I don't know why the Argos have, like you said, what was the score? The, the, the first time they played at BMO this year, 38 to 10. Yeah. So that covers the spread. No problem, but something about playoff game, 
There's going to be a high of six degrees on Saturday right by the water. So, you know, it's going to be colder than that. Like, I don't know. It, you're right, though. I, I do think the Owls are going to try and find their running game, and that's their method to success in this game. But like the Argos can run the ball, too. And, and I think they have a better quarterback. I think they just are better in a lot of positions in this in this game, in this matchup. And it's just it's just going to come down to executing. And I mean, if they've played the way they have the entire season, they should cover this spread. No problem. But easier said than done, obviously. Yeah, it's uh, the Montreal's receivers got their work cut out for them in this one. I, I love the Argos secondary. Um, I think that you mentioned the running game. This is, you know, the time AJ Olette's got to come out. He's been resting kind of on and off throughout the end of the season. They've really been kind of priming him for the playoffs, I would say, especially with how hard and physical of a game he plays. Cold weather, this is the time. Like you absolutely need those chunk plays from him the 10 12 yards uh the quick touchdown plays and that's really been the Argos MO this year they if if it's not working out with Chad Kelly they go to Ouellette and it works and it lets Kelly get back into the game so I think that the Argos have everything right out in front of them here uh you got a home game you've been resting this team had a chance to get healthy and it's just time for them to kind of show it yeah, uh, no time like the present for them. I mean, your your regular season means nothing if you go out there and lose this game to the Alouettes. And the Alouettes would love to play spoiler in this one because I'm sure the talk of the town, like, well, the talk of the town the entire season was how good the Argos were. They're kind of unstoppable. No one can compete with them in the East. Uh, like, they've been locked into the Grey Cup since basically week six, week seven. Yeah. And the Owls can't be happy about that. Like they have a lot of extra motivation in this game. And just, I've said it, we said it before, but like this, those first couple drives in this game is, is really going to tell me the direction of, of what kind of game we're in for. Yeah, I I agree. I think that it's going to be interesting. You know, you, you gotta, you gotta give the fans what they've been waiting for here. I'm excited for it. I think that the Argos are excited for it. They've been kind of sitting on their heels for a bit, really waiting for some big football. Uh, and, and we're going to know what this game is made of really early. Um, but we'll now move to the Western final where the Lions go into Winnipeg to take on the Bombers who are opening as four and a half point favorites, Patrick. That seems like too many points to me. The I think the Bombers have their work cut out for them in this one. Uh, I would agree with you. Uh, I think this game is a coin flip, so I'll, I'll take the points if if I have to. Oh, no, I will. And the the one thing that just really sticks out to me between these two teams, the last game they played, B, BC had it won. Like they they did. If Dominic Rimes goes down with any time left on the clock, they're sending the kicker out there to kick a game winning field goal, no yep. overtime, but. I like where Rhymes' head was at. He tried to go for the win, tried to run into the end zone, was brought down inside the 20, but, and then Winnipeg went on to win in overtime, but like, that's how close these games are when these two teams play. I think they're very evenly matched. I think Winnipeg has, has the experience uh, advantage in this matchup, but outside of that, like I, I, I'm in love with BC's wide receiver room. And I think Vernon Adams has no problem letting it loose to these guys. And yeah, I think it's going to be a ruckus crowd in Winnipeg, and that's going to be big to overcome. But I, I do enjoy the Lions in, in this matchup. Yeah, I 
the Vernon Adams Demario Houston matchup is going to be interesting. Demario Houston has seven interceptions right now. This is going to be the toughest kind of secondary or defensive unit they've played all year, especially because of the spot. You're at home. You're playing Winnipeg probably to a, I don't know, 34,000 sold out crowd in a cold game. Uh, so this is it's an uphill battle for everything off the field or or kind of externally for the Lions. And, and they got to prove like this is a true underdog spot like they are a feisty team. They put up a lot of points against like a wily old veteran group here. Um, Dalton Schoen's been dealing with some injuries. I think he's going to play, though. I think this is going to be a full Winnipeg uh, roster. And something I'm really interested for is the battle at the line of scrimmage. Like you got Brady Oliveira on one side. He has almost or no, he has double the yards that Taquan Mazzell finished with this year. So something I'm looking and keeping an eye on is if the Lions really have to abandon the run, does this get messy? And I mean, on the other side of the defensive line, like Betts leads the league in sacks and he's probably yep. going to be defense, one of the defensive players of the year. He's a candidate for it. I yeah, like I I think this is a better game. I think it'll be a closer game than Montreal Toronto, and I I could be a complete sucker here, but I I love the over as well. Forty nine and a half. I I think these teams are just going to go toe to toe with one of one one another, and it's going to be one of those like heavyweight matchups where it's going to kind of feel like a college football game almost, where they're just kind of going to go up and down the field. And this is just my take on it, but. I don't know. It just these two teams scream points to me. And I know it's a playoff game. I know it's going to be cold in Winnipeg at night. I don't know, though, Damien. I just lean that way. I lean Lions and over. And I mean, I I think these are far and away the two best teams in the West. And I'm just I'm very excited for this game. This this one's great. I think that people have been waiting for this one in like it's it's real fullness they had that weird one right at the start of the season in june where the lions beat the the bombers 30 to 6 and it kind of screwed everybody's thoughts about the bombers for four or five weeks then they went back in august and beat the lions 50 to 14 and then that third matchup winnipeg squeaked it out uh in overtime 34 to 26 so it's interesting. These are two really evenly matched teams, I think, um, and two really different play styles. Like it is a really passing heavy team against a really run heavy team. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to kind of see who comes out on top. Looking forward to kind of gray cup matchups. Patrick, I'll ask you, what do you think your ideal or like, what do you want to see in the gray cup the most? I want to see BC. Oh no, I'm so torn. Because I want to see the rematch of last year between Winnipeg and Toronto, but I would also argue one of the most entertaining games of the season was when BC came to Toronto in week four, week five it was. like That was a very entertaining game with a lot of points on the board and just kind of chaos, really. I, I do... Okay, I think from a national standpoint, I think a rematch is better for viewership. But I think if you want fun and entertainment, BC Toronto would be a better matchup. And if Montreal makes it, I'm not watching. That's, That's pretty much where watch, I'm at but... too. Uh, I'll have. Oh God, if I have to go to a Grey Cup with Montreal in it, I don't know if that's going to go well. Um, can't, but it can't happen. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's interesting. It, it's like. 
the BC Toronto matchup is like the two like younger brothers of, of the CFL right now who are really coming out. It's crazy to say that when the Argos won the great cup last year, but especially in terms of markets like Toronto and Vancouver, these are two budding markets I would say in the CFL and, and a great cup match between the two of them could do a lot for both. But I think you're right. Like it's the game you do really want to see is the rematch, especially with, kind of the Argos mismanaging that game against Winnipeg late in the season and the game that they rested. And it's kind of what everybody wants to see. Like, it seems like two teams who have been talking shit about each other all year and really don't like each other. Like that'll, that game will have the most animosity by a mile. Yeah. I I honestly completely forgot that the Argos rested basically their entire starting roster in the, in the one game they played against each other this season. So way to go CFL scheduling uh the nfl cfl seems like no one no one knows how to schedule nobody can figure it out you're right now now i'm kind of fully sold on like we need to see winnipeg versus toronto best on best to to really just determine who because they have been the two best teams all year long record wise and i think just eye test wise as well so i i think that's the that's like the the true like the one that like true fans would want, but as a, as a bit of a sicko myself, I kind of want to see Argos Lions. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a good take, and we won't get too too deep into it. We'll be having lots of great cup coverage uh, coming in the next few weeks, so we'll save a bit of it for you until the games actually play out. Um, but I think that does it for this week at the Goalpost. Thanks for listening. It was a crazy weekend of football, and looks like next week is going to be a lot of the same. Yeah, it's only going to get better. As the weather goes down, the football becomes better and more exciting. And I I just can't wait to, to get on with it. Hell yeah. All right. Until next week, Patrick. See ya. See ya, Damon. I'm in both